0: Before we get going, could you do me a massive favor and press the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast. You'll be actively helping the podcast to develop and grow, so I'll be really grateful.
1: Vision and Graft, a career and resilience companion with Richard William Preisner.
0: Hello, welcome back to the Vision and Graft podcast. Thank you for returning for episode 12. I hoped you liked the last episode with screenwriter Emily Carlton. If you've not yet had a listen to that, I highly recommend having a listen. She's full of great tips and creative wisdom, which is what this podcast is all about. In this week's episode, I'm going to be chatting with freelance assistant director Yaroon Bogart, who works in London on predominantly drama films. He's worked on many films, including Mogul Mowgli, After Love and the feature film that I shot, Trendy, he was the assistant director on that. In this episode, he will be discussing what an assistant director does for anyone who doesn't know. Um, There's obviously more than just the director on a film shoot, and I'm proof of that, being a cinematographer. And there are many, many people on a film shoot. So an assistant director is a very important part of the overall machine. Jeroen will explain what that is, and we'll discuss keeping calm under pressure, communicating with directors... Managing relationships with a busy freelance life, which is something that um, I know I've personally found quite tough at points and a lot of freelancers do. We discuss clicking with collaborators and when we know we've clicked with them and when we haven't and how to kind of manage that. And the dangers of sort of taking the same approach to new creative work when a new project comes up and how it's good to adapt. In, in order to progress. I'll also be explaining how to enter the Roscoe Mixed competition, so keep listening to find out more about that to get your hands on one of those. It's free to enter and very, very easy. So without further ado, it's time to get into the chat with Yaroon Bogart. Can you explain to me what a first AD, or a first assistant director's job entails?
1: I'm mostly responsible for making a, a shooting schedule meaning that I take the script, break that down, put that into all the scenes I I put in some kind of order of how we're going to shoot it, where is it going to be. Well, the locations decide where it's going to be, but depending on those locations, how do we puzzle it together? What could we shoot together? And then when the first day of the shoot arrives, then I'm sort of responsible to run the floor and make sure that everyone has what they need or knows what they need to do. It's especially a communications role where you're sort of run the floor and I'm sort of one leg standing with the director, trying to accomplish what they want. And my other leg is sort of with production, making sure that logistically all that stuff can work and is achievable.
0: I see. So you you can sometimes be a kind of like, I don't like the phrase, but kind of like middleman between the director and production.
1: Kind of like we're sort of the glue between all the different departments, trying to make sure that everyone works together and achieves their best work. I basically, I went to film school twice, once in Belgium, once here. And then the experience here was mostly like, we'll try to make as many short films as possible. So we made about 24 over a two-year period. But in like a myriad of different departments. Like some days I was lighting, some days I was directing, some days I was doing sound and we all helped out on each other's films, which was amazing as an experience because if you decide on your own to make that many short films, it would take you a lot longer. So um, from that experience, I quickly realized that a lot of people like overestimate what they can achieve, especially on a short film. And I, I sometimes got a little bit frustrated, like reading a script and looking at something and, and thinking like, oh, this could be a, a great little film. But then if you have the money or you don't have the money to achieve it, or people just don't think about things ahead of time and are very inefficient and wasteful with other people's time. And there was a few moments where I worked on other people's projects where I felt like, oh my God, like there's potential here to make this into a great little short film, but like, there's no one who who's thinking about making it as efficient as possible. And especially on student short films, everyone does a little bit of everything. And out of that came, wanted to help out and help make other people's projects into like an efficient thing and, and achieve what they set out to achieve. And I think I I had like good skills to do that. I think my brain lo- sort of works in a very rational, logical way, where I go like, okay, these and these things we need to achieve. Like, how do we approach it? And then I like puzzles as well, so I like to figure out a way to make that achievable.
0: So you found it something that you enjoyed, kind of organising that and making it as streamlined as possible.
1: I always thought like, oh, I want to direct, and I would still enjoy doing that, but at the same time. I also get a lot of enjoyment out of facilitating other people's work and seeing them achieve something great. How stupid that might sound. But I just enjoy seeing everyone achieve something great and they're like happy with their work and all those elements coming together. And I want to be part of all those elements, but I don't necessarily need to have the full responsibility of all those different departments individually. So,
0: I think even in the role that I play on a film set, I get pleasure also out of facilitating other people's visions. You know, like for me, it's not necessarily I'm just doing it for what I want creatively. I'm like serving the director's vision. I mean, I suppose the director equally is enabling all of us to be individually creative and enable us to excel at what we do individually too. So I think that's a massive part of working on a film is like doing it to enable other people's creativity too as like a team to create that kind of bigger thing that you're creating.
1: And when that team clicks, it's such a nice feeling. Mm-hmm. Last week I did a commercial for a good friend of mine and he was directing and I could see his style, even reading and looking at the storyboards and reading the script I I knew like, okay, this is exactly his style of, of making something, which is great because you don't often get to do that on a commercial. You're mostly there to serve the client and the agency because I know him very well. And because I know what he wants to achieve, it became like a very smooth running machine where we achieved everything, what we wanted to shoot, and, and it was all within the time. We, we wrapped early every day. Wow. It was, yeah, it was like once that clicks and all the departments were happy with their work and it, it looked good and it's that feeling of exhilaration, that, that's great.
0: Is that sort of what keeps you going with it? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I think so. I mean, if I really wanted to make loads of money, I would try to be a banker, I guess. Like creatively, it's nice to be part of something, but I don't always need to come up with the ideas. Like it's my role is more like the ideas are there. I'll help you realize them by thinking of the logistical side and you can focus on the creative side.
0: I mean, you mentioned that your role kind of involves being reactive to an ever-changing schedule, ever-changing goalposts. How do you deal with the pressure that's kind of put on you when you're kind of in the middle of a film and and things change? Like, how do you deal with that pressure? Because it, it must be a lot when there's, you know, so many people there looking to you to kind of like make something happen or turn the ship in a new direction.
1: Yeah, it can be stressful. You always have to keep in mind you can only control what you can control. So like certain things like COVID we had shut down. So you can't control that. So there's, I always think at that point, there's no reason or there's no point stressing out about those kind of things if you can't control them. So if you can control them, then it's about putting your heads together in a calm way. And you have to delegate and you have to make sure that you're well-rested because otherwise you can't think like if you're too tired and you're constantly going to have to play catch up because you're, you can't think quick enough for what you need to do and you'll get more stressed. So you always have to try and stay rested and think about like, you don't have to solve it all yourself. You've got this whole team of people that will help you think about a solution. So that helps.
0: And with that team, Do you get to choose to have the people around you that are, you know, they're going to help facilitate your work?
1: Yeah, sometimes, like some of the team, like my AD team, I choose. And then sometimes productions will, when they've worked with you before, or when they trust you, they will ask, can you recommend someone that you think is good in that role and we're looking still for someone who does this or that. And then sometimes you, you put people forward.
0: So you can like have the team that generally that you'd want to have.
1: Well, it's, it's always different. But I would say the film industry is also quite a small industry. So you, you tend to bump into the same people over and over.
0: When I've worked with you, and I've not worked with you for a while, but I noticed when I, when I have, you had a kind of unwavering, calm demeanor. And that always stood out to me amongst other experiences I've had with assistant directors. Is this an intentional approach to your job? And if it is the kind of approach that you, you choose to have, why? Do you choose to be that way?
1: I mean, I think there's some of that in me. Otherwise, I I probably would crack at some point because, like, it does take you to the limit sometimes of your patience. And as you know,
0: uh, I think I've taken you to the limit of your patience before.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it definitely is a little bit of a conscious thing because, like, I do believe that unless I'm calm, if I lose my head, then how are we going to solve anything? Because there's no point losing your head because you can't think of a, a solution when you're like completely. If you start panicking, then you'll make a bad decision. So you have to stay calm, but also realize from the get go that you'll have to adjust. So, like, whatever you thought was going to happen, it's never going to 100% happen all the way through. It's a real life situation. I always think of us as being this weird little factory of people where we come into a place, we, created something from scratch but then we try and film all that in the real world where people walk amongst us doing their thing having their jobs their concerns and sometimes that we come across a little bit entitled of like yeah but we're filming here this is you can't come through this street because we're doing our important stuff and when you're on the other end of that you think like yeah but I need to go to my work like why are you stopping me so we're trying to achieve something within the hustle and bustle of the real world. And then you just have to go with the flow a little bit because things will go a certain way or, um, yeah, things change. Sometimes maybe you don't have the money to lock off a street. So you're trying to do it a different way.
0: So you've, you've found kind of having a calm approach has helped you be a little bit more adaptive to the situation and, and let things kind of wash over you when inevitably they don't really work out.
1: First and foremost, you think like, okay, what's important here to tell the story and what's important to the director and make sure you protect those things at all costs. Because obviously you want to achieve the sort of vision between brackets, because obviously it's a shared vision, but it won't always happen the way you think it will because there's external factors. So you have to in advance, be prepared to be malleable and change your ways of approach.
0: With that in mind, how do you deal with when the crew around you are not remaining calm? You know, when they are becoming stressed out and more vocal as a result of it? Like, how do you, uh, you know, in a kind of management role, how do you deal with that?
1: I mean, it depends to what degree. But sometimes, we have done this before where you take the um, HODs out of the equation. You take them... Heads of departments, you you call a small mini meeting or something where you sit together with the heads of departments and they're the responsible people for their little departments. And then um, you kind of brainstorm a solution or lay out like, listen, here, here's the deal. Something got broken at this person's house where we're filming. They want us out because they're no longer happy with us filming there. We still have a scene to shoot there. What can we do? Um, can we set this scene somewhere else? Or, you know, it could be that an actor has fallen ill on a certain day and then you have to think about, okay, this actor is not coming in, so we can't shoot these scenes. Or there are other scenes that we can shoot. Or the camera breaks down. Like, it, there's there could be a whole variety of things. But then if you're trying to focus on, on all the different, things individually it can become a little bit overwhelming but you're trying to keep an eye on the bigger picture like what's important what should we achieve today and how can we do that
0: so you really can't have like um as the problems arise, like you just mentioned, you can't have a like, this is the end of the world approach to each problem that comes. Because with how you were describing those problems, I I can imagine if you didn't have the demeanor you had in the approach, I suppose it comes from your experience too, you could see these things as like, the film's going to end, you know, like we have to leave the location midway through filming there. Like there could be an approach where you see that as like, this is an absolute disaster and it's hard to see past that. But you, from the way you describe it, it seems like you instantly kind of go around that thought and just get straight to how do we solve the problem and not even see it as a negative necessarily.
1: It helps that I'm very pragmatic. When something happens, I go, all right, it's happened. There's no no point crying about it because it's happened. We need to eventually move past it. We can cry about it afterwards if we feel we need to. But I mean, I'm exaggerating because... That's not the way I communicate it, but yeah. For myself, that's the way I'm thinking. I'm like, okay, it's happened. What's next? And then trying to step by step look at how we can move forward.
0: Okay, it's interesting. Just so so, so not kind of waste your day reflecting on it. That's for after you've finished work and
1: Yeah. And after you finish work, you go to the pub, you you talk about what's happened and you reminisce and you let it all out. And obviously it's it's an emotional experience at times because you're there with other creatives. You're making a story. You're trying to achieve something emotional for an audience. It's going to be emotional for us as well. So, But within the moment, trying to focus on the practicalities of what you need to do. I mean, it sounds very... Like with the pandemic, it's something we all know. We've all been through it. We had a film that that got shot down in the middle of it. We had to find a way to restart. And then there was loads of scenes that we still had to shoot. One of which was a club scene outside a club. But instead of having people wait within like a reception area, we had them wait all outside on the street. There's loads of small examples like that. But with the pandemic, we had to come up with loads of different ways to shoot certain scenes. Because you you couldn't have the big crowd scenes anymore, because you couldn't have people standing too close to each other. So it became like a real challenge for us to make certain things happen. Like we had a we had a scene that played in a small kebab shop. And normally you'd have these three cast members and like loads of extras and in this small kebab shop, but we couldn't film in the kebab shop. So we had to build the the kebab shop and studio and sort of um, scale down the extras and and do it in a way where we, where we could all be far apart from each other.
0: Yeah, I mean, and films are already quite a difficult thing to organize. And then you've got to add in this this new. I mean, that's just, I feel like you could do a whole podcast on just the dilemma that the pandemic gave to to you and your job. How do you kind of manage the task of approaching directors, for example, and telling them that what they want isn't a possibility or it needs to change, especially when they're kind of like quite married to the idea? How do you approach that? Because it strikes me that it's quite a difficult thing to do.
1: It is difficult. It really, it's one of the most difficult things in my job, I find. I have to admit, I'm not always successful trying to achieve that. Because some directors are like, no, this is what I'm doing, this is what I want to do. And then ultimately, my position is here's what I propose. You can make your your choice, whatever it is, but when you make one choice, it'll be at the cost of something else. And I try to sort of instill that very early on because it's with, with everything, really. Because if you if you're buying a car, for example if you spend loads of money on a big brand or a new car, and then you've got not as much money to spend on uh, on other things, you know, like it, it's always a trade-off. So I try and approach it in a way where I give them the choice of like, okay, you can make your, your choice, you can do whatever you want, but if you choose this, it'll come at a cost of something else. And trying to present it that way, rather than say you can't do this or you can't do that.
0: So essentially you're kind of like leaving it up to them to make the call on what's more important.
1: Yeah, and depending on my relationship with them, I can sort of say, oh, don't you think this is more important? And, and sometimes there's a little bit more of a collaboration or a, or a dialogue. Some people see me as, oh, you, you're just there to execute what I think is, is right and what needs to be done. Or some people take me a little bit more into the fold and allow me to voice my, my opinions. But essentially, the buck stops with the producer and the director. So if those two entities agree on something and they want to do this kind of thing, then that's what's going to happen. In a safe way, of course. Because like there is moments where if you're trying to do something that's unsafe and we're not equipped to do it in a safe way, I will say, no, this can't happen. And that's where I sort of... Um, in a position of authority in a way where I can say to director, no, we can't do this because it's unsafe.
0: Right. So you, just to kind of, a bit of a reality check.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't have to do it often. Mostly people are quite sensible about what needs to be in place and, and productions will get the right safety in place as well. But there has been a few moments where I had to say like, no, we can't do this because it's unsafe.
0: Well, so to just take you kind of like outside of the actual filmmaking process for a second, I found while working in the film industry that it's put a strain on personal relationships and made it quite difficult to balance like what I need to do for work and the kind of expectations of the person that I'm involved with, for example, or friends and family and what their expectations might be. What impact has working in film and having kind of such wild schedules had on your relationships over the years? Have you had to kind of adapt or change your approach at all?
1: I think, especially in the beginning of my career, I was like keen to, I mean, like all of us keen to do a good job and like make a good impression and, and make good connections with people. And sometimes that comes hand in hand with trying to do too much and you just run yourselves into the ground. Also. Now I've got family and stuff. So you have to protect their time as well. I have to sometimes say like, for example, now I'm sort of in soft prep. My my full-time prep only starts next week. So sometimes they'll ask me a question or ask me to do a day on a schedule ahead of time because they're trying to lock in an actor. And I'll say, I've got time. This week on this day or that day, but not any of the other days. So you have to just stand your ground a little bit and protect your own time because people will still, will just take advantage. Like, not because they're malicious or, or want to suck you dry or whatever, but just like the film moves on, you know, like it, it just keeps going. And there's always some kind of problem to solve. So sometimes when something needs to, be solved, then I'll decide, okay, i can I can look at it on this particular day. I've got some time free to try and solve that. But you have to like pace yourself a little bit. That's most important, I think, especially in the beginning of my career, what I've learned, like I didn't pace myself, I didn't think about on the weekend when we've got a day off, you do have to switch off. and sometimes there are things that you could be looking at, but you have to protect yourself sometimes from being available all the time because people will then call upon you. And
0: in the past, like you say, at the beginning of your career, not knowing to do that or being too involved in your job, did that have an impact on your personal life in some way then?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like you, I mean, we all know it, like when we're in the middle of a shoot, it's all consuming and you don't really have time to meet up with friends and stuff. So that's impacts that a little bit. But personally, like, sometimes, yeah, I've had relationships where it um, negatively impacted it. I put the film first, and I was like, yeah, this is important. This needs to be done. But ultimately, um, we're all people. We all have our lives outside of our work, and that's important, too. And that has to have a place. And it's just important to try to communicate stuff before it becomes a problem. Like with our baby and this film that I'm about to do I said to them clearly like I won't have time in January because we will just have had the baby and we want to spend time and you you sort of draw the lines of your boundaries and you say this is what I'm prepared to do at this certain times and you try to protect yourself that way and it helps having an agent it does help but you can do that yourself as well
0: and you, you have an agent now
1: I do, uh, yeah, I do have an agent now for about two years now. Yeah, it does help.
0: Yeah, I see. I suppose it can help be a... I've talked to one of my guests previously about how they can be a buffer to help give you the time off that you need.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's something that's taken me a long time to learn to, like, know, to give myself time. Although, to be honest, I got kind of good at it. But then recently, I've definitely slipped down back into the my days off and my days on are really blurred at the moment. I'm hoping in the next couple of months that will leaving out, but I'm on a bit of a hard push at the moment.
1: Yeah. Also, as an example, I've worked with a line producer who had a production assistant who was very keen to move up the ranks. And the production assistant was very good and did like loads of different tasks and was like, involved with many different things on the production. And this production assistant asked like, oh, when will I be able to move, move on, move up the ranks, basically. The line producer said something very clever. He said, when you learn to say no. Because like he felt that with moving up the ranks comes the responsibility of knowing when to say no. Because if you are in a position where you're responsible for other people and you say yes to everything and you potentially run yourself into the ground you won't be able to help those people either and you'll basically abandon them because you've run yourself into the ground so it's it's like learning to say no and you know draw the boundaries
0: Yeah, that's a really good way of testing someone to move forward in their career. Um, But I mean, naturally though, thinking about it, I definitely think that I've I've learned to say no more the older I've gotten. A lot of it boils down to as well, self-respect. So you kind of feel like you need to, like you say, protect Certain aspects of you. And in order to do that, you have to say no. And sometimes, I mean, a lot of time it just comes on instinct when you should do that. And a lot of time it's almost immediate when you should say no, I find. I don't have to think about it often. It's usually like, I know that's not good for me. But before, I would often say yes to those, to do everything, even if it wasn't what was best for me.
1: I mean, I appreciate it's hard to say no when you're starting out and you feel like, even if you've got enough self respect, but you still feel like, I don't have the experience, and there's so many other people like me. I need to do more to stand out. So that sometimes can work against you of trying to say no, or like I, I would say yes to everything I could do when I was starting out. Obviously, my life was a lot simpler, then I could say yes a lot more. But it's that thing of like I did learn as well, like if you do say no at the right times when you should say no, other people will clock that, will react to that in a way where they will understand why you said no and respect you for it.
0: Yeah, and that that ultimately will have a benefit to your career. Yeah, I think so. Competition time. If you're enjoying the conversation, please can you do me a favor and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts? It's super easy to do. And if you let me know you've left a review using the Get In Touch page on visiongraph.com or by sending me a message on the Vision and Graft Instagram, at VisionGraft, you'll be automatically entered for free into one of the monthly draws to win a Roscoe Mixbook Digital Swatchbook. This very useful tool enables you to pre-visualise coloured gels and LED colours, and they're really useful for those working in film, photography, or lighting design to plan which colours they could use in their lighting. I use mine all the time in my planning, and I couldn't be without it. Spread the word, if any of your mates would be interested in getting their hands on one, the competition is free to enter. If you really want a mix book and you'd like to increase your chances, if you repost any of my posts on the Vision and Graft Instagram to your story, I will add an extra entry into the competition for you if you let me know that you've done that. The last date for entry is midnight the 31st of August 2022 and I'll contact the winner directly to arrange their new mix book delivery. The competition is only available to residents of the UK, EU, USA and Canada. But if you'd still like to leave me a review if you're outside of those areas, I will very much appreciate that. Full terms and conditions are available at visiongraph.com. Good luck with the competition. Now back to the show. Could you tell me about the biggest hurdle that you faced in your career and what you did to manage it?
1: I think one of my biggest hurdles was was early on I had an opportunity to first my first feature film. So I did shorts before and I had done quite a few of them and then there was a production that approached me and they said we're firing our first AD because we think he's no good. We've heard some good things about you. Do you want to come in and do this job with us? And I thought it was a great opportunity because I hadn't done a feature before. They sold it on the basis of like it's one location, there's three main casts, all pretty straightforward. Then when the the shoot approached we got into all kinds of problems starting with the lighting was all worked into the set and were led strips that were ordered from china and had to be brought in and had to be worked into the location and some of them didn't work and so we we lost a shoot day here and there because some of these things just played up and then, like I said, I ran myself a little bit into the ground and that was like such a big learning curve of, of trying to stay on top of things. And we, at all costs, tried to make this film. We did make the, make the film, but I think in hindsight, we should have pressed pause and reflected upon what we were doing and, and regrouped or something. So that was like a big, big, big learning curve. I still sometimes, like when I do a project and you feel like you don't really click with the director. I mean, you can always talk to each other, but on a film set, because things have to move so fast, you have to kind of learn how to instinctively trust each other and to go like with half sentences like, okay, yeah, uh, this has happened here and we shot this in a different way. So um, we have to reorder the day and do this first and then this later. And it could be like, quick conversations like that. And when you're not on the same page with your director, it can be quite a difficult thing because they'll be like, oh no, but actually I think this is more important. And you go, okay, all right. I thought you would say something else, but okay. If you feel this is more important, then um, we'll try to focus on that. And then you're trying to learn what they're about and what they, they feel is going to matter most. But I've, I've had it where I just didn't click with them and it just, Never got to that point where we felt where we were in sync, and it's strange when that happens because then you start doubting yourself. Like, am I, am I just not a good communicator? Are they just misunderstanding everything I say, or are they not communicating well enough? But like, it happened on a thing where I really respected the director, and I'd seen their work, and and I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. But but somehow it didn't click, and. I was like, yeah, oh, is it me? <laughs> but then afterwards you do another project that w- goes really well and, and it, it's sort of uh, communication runs seamless. And then you think it's just different people, different personalities. You know, it's, we all have an ego, no matter what the size is. But you can say like, check your ego at the door. Yeah, you should do that. There's still part of you that you know who you are, your character is you still carry that with you. you don't become a robot. I try to sort of adapt myself, I would say, to um what the director is about and what they need, and I don't always succeed.
0: I think one of the things you just reminded me that I find weird about working with certain directors is that it doesn't always align that the people I get on really, really well with. Or really well with I work the best with and the reverse, you know, so outside of work,
1: you say it doesn't always align
0: yeah, like and sometimes i've got I've got collaborators I work with that and have worked with that I feel like we really gel at work, but then we don't have the relationship outside of work, not that it would be bad, but it's just that that's it just seems to go that way, and it's it's not always the case that a creative collaborator for me is also the best of friends with me you know but then you like you say you know there's that feeling when you click with someone at work that's different and it's sort of like it's a feeling and you just know it's there and when it does it feels really good and you know you're kind of doing something together that's good it's hard to put into words really
1: yeah it is hard to put into words there's that kind of trust thing as well that that happens
0: It's like knowing what the others thinking a little bit too, you know. Like both you and I have responsibility in our jobs for what other people are thinking and what other people, you know, we have to kind of understand someone else's vision and try and make that happen. And when you feel like you've really clicked with them, you you feel. I mean, I personally feel like I'm I know that I'm making what they want me to. You know, I know that I'm I've got their eye on it as well as mine, and I have that feeling when I know I've got that. But then there are jobs where it seems like everything I'm doing is not up to what the director wants. So we've got a completely different way of approaching things. And I can't quite seem to get it to gel, but there's other directors I've worked with that I've worked with quite a few times that are just sort of like, just go with it, Will. You know what you're doing. When that happens, that's like, oh, that's amazing. You know, like they know when to have a conversation with me and have their input and they know when to leave me to it because they're working with me for a reason that they have, which is hopefully that they want to work with me.
1: Yeah. And I always try to keep in mind as well, like in terms of working together with someone and how that, that, that goes, how well it goes, how sometimes difficult it is. I always try to approach when you, you step into a new project, I don't think about, oh yeah, I've done this before. So therefore I know exactly what we're doing. I try to approach it in a way where wipe the slate clean and try to approach it as if we're doing everything for the first time which you kind of are because it's with different people. That's important for me to keep in mind because if I was to approach a film and I don't know how many I've done now, like about 15 or something, but if I was trying to approach a new film and, and said, oh, I can see what you're doing there. I've done that on film six. And what you're trying to do there, I've done that on film three. And then try and do the same thing, what you've done then then you're making mistakes because their approach to it and their way of working, their personality as well, is different. So I'm trying to sort of come with an open mind and think of like, I can see what you've written here and how the scene is going to go. And then you, you talk about it and ask questions. And then slowly that will cement itself into what it, what it is. But it, it is a, a danger there to try and preempt things and think about like, oh yeah, like a party scene. I've done a party scene before. um What do you need, 50 people? And they'll like, you know, dance to a certain tune. Like, great, like we'll have some confetti and balloons. Like some people be like, oh no, you know what? Actually, I want them to feel isolated at this party. So actually we don't need as many people or we just need more people, but very close. Or we want to shoot a slow mo, or we we actually don't want to shoot a it slow mo. It's always slightly different. So whatever you're doing, is always a little bit different.
0: I can definitely associate with what you're saying there when it comes to lighting as well, because I've I've found I've had people throughout my career tell me that there is a way to do something, and I know there are ways to do things you know, there are known ways to do solve certain problems when it comes to lighting. But at the end of the day, you are being creative. And you can do whatever you want to serve whatever you're trying to do at that moment. And that's something that sort of the older I've got, when I've heard people say that, it's frustrated me because I personally don't take that approach. I think I'm similar to you in that regard, like I want to approach each project with a different view of how I light things, not just be too prescriptive. And sometimes I mean, I have my own philosophies, but I think sometimes it's often better to just start with like the most simple thing, and work my way from there, as opposed to going with like, a this is a really complex idea that we execute time and time again to achieve this end goal. And I think that often a lot of these things can be kind of revised and looked at to see if there's a more simple way to do them, which is usually, that's usually how I'm approaching my work is through simplicity. Because often that is I mean, in my experience so far, that's usually what's delivered me the best-looking work, which is my job on a film, you know? So I I completely understand what you're saying, like, to kind of leave all of your past experiences out of it and just let them help guide you to help to solve the problems that are being presented.
1: They'll help you to come up with a new way of doing stuff. And obviously, there, there are certain aspects of my job when I schedule a film, like, it makes sense to very simple example to schedule all the scenes that take place at the warehouse, even though they might take place at the beginning and the end of the film, to schedule all those scenes together if they were to happen to take place at a warehouse. So that just makes common sense. But then do you put all that stuff at the beginning or the end or the middle? Like at a meeting today with uh, two directors for a film, they said, yeah, because of the emotional journey, certain aspects of that journey we want to have in chronological order so that we that we carry that throughout the film, that we've shot that early on in, in the shooting schedule so that we know what that is and how that impacts the performance. And I'm a believer in that. Like I, I try to think of like like if you think about us as people behind the camera, there's the actors in front of the camera, they have that same process of like trying to think of how to do their job and like in an efficient way, but also in a creative way. And then they probably think about their characters and then their their journey throughout the film. When I look at a film and I like a film, it's mostly because of the characters and the actors on screen. I don't love a film because, oh, look at that car blew up in a really nice way. You know, so you have to respect that process of the actor and and trying to see where they're coming from and help them with their process of like. Maybe we have to live through this moment, and the choices we make there will influence other choices further on the story. So we should have to shoot that first because depending how we end up shooting it will influence other shots down the line.
0: I see sort of this sort of comes back to the question I asked before about your job, and it's like it's not just all about the the most like efficient way to organize things. It's also about being a creative enabler and being involved in creative decisions to make the film kind of become the best it can be.
1: Yeah, you have to understand that there's an importance to a creative choice. Like, I could say, like, oh, yeah, but, you know, why don't we just... doesn't matter if we've shot this scene first or that scene after. It's all in the script. Just act it out. Just say your lines, you know? Yeah, I could say that as well. And there have been people who said that. Just stand on your mark and say your lines. You have to understand that not everyone works that way and, and some people come at it in a very... They immerse themselves into a character and then let the moment also influence the choices they make.
0: What would you say is the best advice that you've ever received?
1: Be what you want to be. This was in film school. I worked as a runner on something. And I was a DOP that, in my eyes was fairly successful, had done lots of stuff, and like my friend and I we were like, "Oh, and how'd you get to what you're doing?" And, like, and he just said, like, "If you want a DOP, be a DOP. If you want to direct, be a director." And what he meant by that was, you shouldn't take on all these other jobs in the hope that someday someone will down the line will give you the opportunity to DOP. Obviously, you have to work your way into the industry somehow so you have to do something so you start running or you start somewhere as a trainee or something but equally you should do your own little projects like if you want to dop dop your small little projects if you want to direct direct with your friends and make little short films with your friends then later on invite some actors, pay them like a small fee. Because a lot of people will be, if they have the free time, including me, like will be quite open to helping other people out. I think that's what I did early on as well. I didn't really, obviously I went to film school twice and it took me a long way to get where I'm now, but I didn't necessarily go the traditional route of being a runner for a long time, then being a third AD for a long time and then being a first AD. I kind of was first thing, short films straight out of film school, but there were like tiny little projects of people that I've met through film school or outside of film school on networking events. You help out and then you make mistakes along the way. And then you work on other projects and you, or you meet other people who do the same thing and you, you learn like, Oh yeah, maybe I should have done it this way or that way. But there's no point where you're too early to start doing what you actually want to be doing and i say this 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 probably goes for like the best examples when you want to be a director like a lot of people are like "Ah, so how do i become a director where do i go do i start being a runner ad and then gradually i'll i'll become a director well just direct your short films with your friends just do something but start directing that won't make you money so you have to find a way to make money but like our friend zach he's over lockdown, he's made four or five little short films with his mates.
0: Yeah, they've been great.
1: Yeah, like little comedy short films that he made, quite creative, almost no budget. But from that, he honed his skills a little bit. And um, and now the commercial that we did was very similar to to what he did on those small short films. So someone will see them and they'll see the potential and then it will be a stepping stone to bigger and better.
0: It's kind of like, if you want to be a painter, you can work to assist them and mix the paints all day, but at some point you need to like pick up a paintbrush and start learning the skills at least like, it's not necessarily just about people seeing it, it's about learning the craft too. And I mean, my experience, although I'm by no means an expert, but everything I've learned up to this point has come through doing exactly what you say, like making little films that even when we, when we're younger, you and I were on projects that were sort of along those lines together. So it's really important.
1: And then when, once you are doing it, then try and pace yourself. That was for me, the biggest, biggest lesson. Like what we said earlier, don't run yourself into the ground because you'll be useless to anyone if you're too tired.
0: That's very true. I've definitely done that. Do you remember when I was ill when we shot Trendy? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what that was. I think it was food poisoning, but I also suspect now looking back on it, it was my body just rejecting what I was doing to it. Cause I was like sleeping on average about like three hours a night or something. And it was just after like four weeks of that, I just couldn't I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. But I still came to work. <laughs> even though I was like really unwell.
1: Yeah. Cause If you love filmmaking and you want to make a career out of it, then you kind of have to. Otherwise, your career is not going to last very long. Every project, everything you do, like for... I always laugh when um, a director says like, yeah, this is a passion project. And I go like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you've worked on this maybe for a couple of years of your life and it's the most important thing for you right now. And we'll all give 110%, and and it is important. But you have to remember that all these people that work with you, like the gaffers, the electricians, the the grips, the, the costume and makeup people, they do this all day, all year on a variety of different projects. So they hear this all the time. I was ADing a TV drama, and after lunch, there was a choice to be made. Should we start with this or should we start with something else? And so the director asked me this question and I was like, don't worry, I'll um, I'll speak to some of the crew and I specifically had a question for the lighting department, the gaffer. So I, I approached their table where they were having lunch and I, the DOP was there, the gaffer was there. I thought, okay, I'll just, we'll talk about this scene that is coming up and now we'll know what to do. So I sat down, and as soon as I started talking, the gaffer stood up and walked away. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so rude. Like, why, why is he doing that? And then he was just like, I'm still on lunch. Talk to me when lunch is over. And it was nothing personal that like we talked about. I was fine afterwards. But And I kind of respect that. I was like, oh, yeah, actually, you know what? He works all year round on different film projects, on TV projects, the whole time. And everyone says, this is the special one that needs the extra attention. But equally, he's not being paid to work during his lunch break. And he should have that lunch break. So fair on him to tell me not to talk about work during lunch.
0: I suppose if he's not going to police that, no one will.
1: Yeah, and, and now... Since then, I've become a little bit more aware of that myself. Like, I can decide for myself if I want to look at work or not during my lunch break. 99% of the time I will because it just makes me feel a little bit more calm in what we're doing afterwards. But I do tell people like, stop working now, go on your lunch break. And did you have some food? And like, go and and sit down for a bit.
0: Well... On that note, thank you for being open on the podcast and honest and um, sharing your experiences with me. I'm really, um, really grateful for that. It's been great to chat to you, as always.
1: I mean, absolutely welcome. Thank you for having me. Find us online at visiongraft.com. And for updates, follow Will on Instagram at VisionGraft.